0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com/donate. When you throw even ten bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just twenty bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in fifty bucks, and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. OperaBoxScore.com/slash/donate. Enjoy the podcast.
1: You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's
0: get ready to rumble. Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera. Period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho. With Tobias Wright and Weston Williams, we are live on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. Now, you want your voice heard, right? 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Hey, what's your take on what we're talking about tonight? Call us on air, 847-866-9687. All right, tonight we reach into our listener mailbag. Kevin Byrne, an assistant professor in theater studies at the University of Arizona and a past guest on our show and a good friend of mine, wrote to our team asking, what would be the handful of operas from the 19th century to the present that you would consider the most representative if you were tracking an evolution of the form? Man, this guy gets paid to think hard. We give him way too many ideas. That's next. Then, last month in the New York Times, Anthony Tomasini called it, quote, the best opera recording ever. We'll tell you what it is and what we think of it. And then it's the two-minute drill. You get all your opera headlines from the past week and our hot takes on them. A lot going on in the show tonight. Nice full house here. Hoping that the technology is going to work on a snowy, snowy day. Oliver Camacho, tell me that you're listening. Uh, Tell me what
2: I'm—what? Tell me that you're— Tell
0: me that you're with me tonight.
2: I'm here. Um, it's a little bit hard to hear you, but uh, we don't want the guests to see you underneath the belly of the car or whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all working very smoothly. We're driving along. Yeah.
0: Th- that would be Weston Williams and uh, Tobias Wright.
3: I trudged through the snow uphill both ways to be here, and I'm happy to do so.
0: <laughs> Are you happy that the Bears have hired one of the uh, a former chief?
3: Uh, you know, it's interesting me as a Chiefs fan. Uh, Nagy was never, a, I, I, I don't know, great for the Bears, I guess. It surprised me that he left and got a head coaching position with the Bears. But, you know, I would leave the Chiefs too if I was stuck in that purgatory because you're just going to go to the playoffs and lose every year in some shocking fashion.
0: It's it's funny that he, he blew it in that final playoff game and then the Bears snapped him right up. He, makes you think twice about that Bears management. Well... Ooh, we going learn <laughs> I'm gonna
2: say some sports things Sports! Um, Australian Open Australian Open first round, Americans disastrous But uh, also um, Figure skating Three weeks from now There's a gay There's a gay A gay. There's oh a gay. yeah, I saw that in the news yeah.
3: Yeah. And they're
2: gonna let him They finally have one <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright guys, we got a lot to get to tonight Let us talk some opera
1: Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score.
0: Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Got a good crew in tonight. Kevin Byrne, a uh, professor, uh, excuse me, assistant professor at the University of Arizona. He's been on the show before, extremely smart guy, Chicagoan. He wrote in saying, George and team. What would be the handful of operas from the 19th century to the present that you would consider the most representative if you were tracking an evolution of the form? And it felt like an assignment, which is good, because he is a professor. <laughs> and there were some extra rules. He said, here's the rules. It can't be like, quote, your favorite opera, but ones of the, the best emblems of the changes and innovations in the art form. His example was Einstein on the Beach. <laughs> which
4: is my favorite opera, of course. Yes, so, of course. Um, but you're just weird. Disqualify that. <laughs>
0: Well, he goes on to say, look, maybe it's not your cup of tea, but it's hard to deny the importance of the piece, both as a different way of presenting opera and also a reflection of the aesthetics of the moment, which is a fair point. I don't think we need to go in any particular chronological order here. we get time for everybody to at least shout out one opera. Again, 19th century to the present, Mm -hmm. representative of the tracking of the evolution of the art form. Weston Williams, we're going to start with your... What? Recommendation. We,
2: we have to go chronologically. <laughs> well, I mean, I. We, we haven't even mapped, planned out how we're gonna do this. Like, we can't just like jump into the 20th century.
0: Of, of course we can. <laughs> no man. <laughs> go through <laughs> a little little time Listen, tunnel to pull a little Doctor Who that's flying around. Let Kevin sort it out. Right. <laughs> we're just gonna throw some pasta at the wall, and Kevin's gonna make a delicious. What's the Italian wedding soup called? Not minestrone. Oh, uh, not um, soup,
4: it, I've minestrone? I've eaten it. It's good. Uh, it's delicious. But speaking of Italian things, I think we should start, if we're not going to go totally chronologically, we should at least be kind of aware of the region. That's kind of where I was thinking, thinking of.
0: You mean geographic? Yeah, yeah. Because, okay.
4: you know, uh, early opera, particularly um, probably up until Wagner, is, is pretty Italian anyway. Right. So I think it's a, it's, a good, it's a good way to kind of uh, f- start picking out operas. Yeah. So you know, first of all, you, got your, you, you need your Bel Canto example. Um, and, uh, canto has never really been like my total jam. You know, okay. I've, I've, it's, it's my, it's one of the holes in my opera knowledge. Um, but I was thinking maybe something by Donizetti or, uh, Rossini, uh, just kind of start things off a little bit, you know, something, uh, uh, something that is, shows off the voice, more minimal accompaniment. But uh, very much the backbone of opera going into the 1800s, right? Um, Exactly, because
0: we're tracking again the evolution of the art form here. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. yeah. So where is it
4: coming from then?
2: Like, if you're saying that, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you're saying that bel canto music or the bel canto composers, Rossini, whatever, are now showing off the voice, where where is that coming from? Like, what what are they departing from?
4: They, I don't even know what they're departing from. I think it's just a natural outgrowth of the sort of the the classical, you know, nice, nice, even lines, very uh, understandable melodies. But is is
2: there like a moment, you know, in the history of music that's like, oh, here is the clear line between what was before and and what is now bel canto opera?
4: Ooh, I don't know. Because
2: I think that bel canto (laughs) opera is an extension. Of what has happened before, and like if you look at opera seria, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that was very bel canto, you know, and some of the even operas up op, the bel canto operas have begun to take on some of those bel canto op, those S- opera seria. So, topics, is there a you know?
0: piece for you, Oliver, of the 19th century that that is kind of just iconic of that bel canto style?
2: I mean, Norma comes to mind just because mm. it's such a crazy opera, and it's like so hard, and like it's you know it what did Wagner say that like he couldn't, if he tried to be orchestrated, he'd end up doing the exact same thing that
4: Bellini mm-hmm. did. Because, and that was, that was in
3: 1831. 1831. Oh man, mm-hmm. he
4: got the exact numbers over here. Wikipedia. all about oh, okay. the <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, I
2: mean, for me, well, Toby, uh, um, I feel like Lucida Lamamore is a great example of a bel canto opera because it fits so much of like the formula of a bel canto mm-hmm, opera. Mm-hmm. Like everything is like aria cabaletta, you know you have a mad scene you have like a big second act finale you know like it really just like checks off a lot of boxes you know yeah
3: that's mm-hmm. a good point
2: but how do we but how do we how do we get out here <laughs> this is something <laughs> this, is this shows <laughs> that we prepared a tiny bit how do we get out of the bell concert period oh
3: it's funny that you would ask that uh, <laughs> an italian composer uh by the name of giuseppe verdi
2: I think I've
3: heard of him. Yeah. So Go-wee. he had obviously, he'd been writing uh, for a time, but this is, he entered into, uh, what did you say? You said Norma, and we said 1831, and mm-hmm. then kind of the next benchmark, and this is the first time that the, there was an actual, I think, departure um, from the Belcanto style, you know, aria, recit, aria, whatever. Um, the numbers operas. The numbers operas, yeah. and that is in 1851, and that was when Verdi um, and Piave wrote Rigoletto. And uh, Verdi himself said, you know, at this point there was there was no aria structure to it. He it was like a constant string of duets for him, and so he this is when recit uh, recitativo and melody kind of blend together uh, for the first time. And then it never really, I mean, that after that, you know, two years later he writes Traviata. Yeah. Well, he's trying and Then to, twenty uh, years later, he's
2: p- trying to erase the lines between you know, recits and arias mm-hmm. and, and cabaletas. like it's all uh, the part. I mean, and without
3: finales. Yeah. Essentially too. I mean, it's, he just, he made the music and the text tell the story, uh, rather than having pause. you know, it, 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 it is a total departure from what Bel Canto is where it's like, it's, but I think of Barbara Seville and how mm. hokey that can feel, uh. even though it's, <laughs> it's a fantastic <laughs> opera and it's one of my favorites to sit and watch and laugh through. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no continuity for Did, me. Were you the
2: one that said uh, somebody on this show said they don't like Belcanto. Was that you? No. Okay. Oh you don't like gosh. Mozart. Somebody doesn't like something. Oh,
3: it, I don't I, I don't care for Mo, I don't okay. ever want to go be an audience member at a Mozart opera again.
2: Oh god. Wait,
0: wait. Somebody <laughs> didn't <laughs> like something this on this. This letter show. is
2: tearing us apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I've seen Cosy Fantute okay. so many but times that I just don't want to do it's it anymore. Every time you we like try to find these, you know, signpost moments in the history of opera. It's always been done before, and like Monteverdi had this down packed in the early in the first decade of opera. Mm -hmm. You know, erasing the lines between song Mm -hmm. and recitative. Mm -hmm. You know, so to say that Verdi is doing something new, who he is, obviously. But Mm -hmm. even Donizetti and Rossini were trying to stretch those lines themselves. I mean, Rossini handed off, you know, what became French grand opera with a work like William Tell. You know. Mm-hmm. And the Meyerbeer operas, you know, they are bel canto, mm-hmm. but they're also French, and they also really are much like like the, the numbers feel so much longer. It's hard to like figure out where does
4: the aria it's usually because Be- they are longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> longer yeah. and bigger. Just uh, just a yeah. big old hunk of orchestra yeah. underneath that too, you know.
2: But anyway, so all that stuff. Keep kinda, talking dirty, me, Weston. No, to me, like from <laughs> from the origins of opera all the way to Verdi middle period, feels of a part. To me. Okay. Mm. So where, Weston, in your opinion, do you feel like it actually takes a, a dramatic departure? So you,
3: you disagreed with me saying Rigoletto?
2: I agree with the, with the premise. Because I'll that, fight that, you about this. No, no, <laughs> I agree with the premise that, that Verdi was trying to do something original. But in doing something original, he really was just repeating another composer from... 200 years before, you know. So. Right.
4: Well, I, I I, do think there is, you know, a certain merit to... Verity very, feel, very much feels like the heir to the Italian opera tradition, whereas um, probably the next big composer on my list, Wagner, um, obviously heir to the German tradition, but it's also the point where I think uh, uh, opera switches from being an Italian art form to being a German art form as the sort of the mainstream backbone of the artistic medium, and it kind of stays that way up until uh, up until World War Two, I think. Um, so my next pick is, of course, Tristan and Isolde. I know it's kind of an easy one, mm-hmm. being important and all. You got your Tristan chord. You got your funky tonalities. You got your uh, you got your Heldentenors. Heldentenors just everywhere. You know, just kind of running across the stage. Uh, you know, and you got you got your light motifs. I mean, w- w- what's not to love? Okay. <laughs> so there's a the thing. Like I do
2: agree with you that yeah. Wagner started something. I think leitmotif motif and um, you know very specific voice types and uh, long forms and work whatever you want <laughs> to you. call it. Um, but, to me, Leitmotif is not that different from uh, the l- doctrine of FX. But like know? the Tristan chord, for instance. Yeah, the Tristan chord is mm-hmm. definitely, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a human yeah. harmony that, that triggers something.
3: Well, So there is the, fr- like, he really starts to change uh, traditional tonality. And that's why it's such a big deal. And that was something that we don't, we hadn't previously seen a ton of.
2: Yeah, everybody, so, I mean, everybody played with to play. tonality, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes, it has to go somewhere. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't like he went from Bach to you know Tristan Chord. You know, there was stuff that are happened you sure? In between. Yeah, I don't
3: know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of feels that way. Oliver,
0: <laughs> it's opera box score on WNUR 89.3 FM. That idea of what Weston is saying about the German composers dominating the end of the 19th century, what. Oliver and Tobias are talking about with chromaticism, to me, all comes together in Zalame by Strauss. 1905, this seems to be to really usher in 20th century music just with the, the use of tonality, the use of chromaticism, and the use of dissonance. I don't know how much dissonance you had really heard in the opera house prior to those opening and frankly, closing chords of Zalame, for me, that is like just a landmark piece that absolutely has to be part of this discussion.
2: Well, before you we we r- got here, we were talking about, is it the beginning of modernism? Mm-hmm. But, but then even like Strauss got a little scared of himself and yeah. went back mm, yeah. to yeah, a more late true. romantic period, you know? Yeah,
4: he, he definitely saw the the tonal cliff. Uh, he's like, should I jump over it? And he's like, no, I'm going to back up a little bit. However, I think for Strauss, though, a lot of the backing up was uh, wasn't so much artistically driven as it was historically driven. Yeah, you know, of course, you know, very late Strauss, you know, you, you got the Nazis in power. Um, Strauss is still there in Germany Um And, uh, there's, I think there's a little bit of, a little bit of controversy about, about, you know, his role. However, I think the historical consensus as of right now is that he was, you know, protecting some people, um, and, uh, and specifically, not doing what the Nazis wanted, uh, and the Nazis wanted more of his early stuff. They would specifically request do something like Electra again, do something like Zolomy, something bloody, violent, dissonant. Um, and then, uh, in 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 a, in, a, in a way, his act of defiance was to step back and do something like uh, like Capriccio, where it's you know a little. A little cute little uh, opera about uh, you know uh, about uh, uh, Paris. A little little comedy about writing operas. You know, I I I I I think that Strauss's concept of tonality didn't really stop at Electra. Uh, it it just went in a slightly different direction and then stepped back because of history rather than uh, I I I I. I, I I would almost say that late Strauss, even though it sounds more romantic, is more modernist in conception than even early than the early Strauss operas. It does that if that makes any sense? I understand. Like, <laughs>
2: like you're talking about like the narrate the narrative and like something like Frau or Egypti- yeah. a Helena or those things feel That'll more chestnut. modern.
0: Let's get back to Kevin's question here again, the best emblems of the changes and innovations in the art form. I want to I want to do the lightning round here so oh. we can wrap up okay, this okay. segment. Maybe. Okay. But look, think of an opera in English. Again, the language So that's
2: the th- I was I was going to get there. I think that now English is the lingua franca of opera somehow. Mm. And uh American composers seem to be well i 'm American, so maybe I just have my blinders, and <laughs> i don 't know what 's going on in the rest of the world, but I do feel like we are sort of holding court like the english the Americans and the British
4: with uh, the the new
0: mm-hmm.
4: you know, yeah well you um, know the british you know they they kind of came in out of left field because you know they uh, between yeah, nobody until Britain. between Handel <laughs> no, no, no. And, and, and Peter Grimes, yeah. there's nothing. True. Yeah. <laughs> True, So they're finally getting their little moment in the spot. So let's say that nice. Britain is the important composer. Of what let's
2: say what Peter Grimes is the opera that really puts England back on the map. Yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah Peter Peter definitely for mm-hmm. sure. That's a good one for the 1940s too. Yeah, the, would, the
4: mid-century is kind of a weird time because yeah. you got the war going on. Yeah, I would also say
2: Rake's Progress with a Russian composer oh, yeah. setting an English an opera in English is declaring, like, okay, this is the language we're composing in now, you know?
0: Right. Based on a much older text, of course. Um, by the way, that piece is, like, impossible to perform. I mean, it's so hard to get the words.
4: The rake's progress?
0: Rake's progress.
4: Oh, yeah. like, 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 just in terms of uh, enunciation? Literally,
0: to hear the words and to know what the hell is happening. <laughs> this is isn't, like, it s- so... isn't that the <laughs> librettist? Yes, I yes. I yeah. didn't say that. The If you read it on the page, Yeah, it but it's not sense. an
2: old text. It's just a text of its time. But isn't it? It's not based. It's based on paintings. There's no like.
0: Ah, no, that's you're absolutely yeah. right. Sorry, yes, no, it's the paintings that are old. Mm. I but that, I can see I, how
3: you would think it's hard to get the text, and that's it because is. it's harder than hell to sing. Can we say hell on air? Oh, Sure. Mm. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> would <Well, Nobel laughs> say all
2: sorts of things because our president says all sorts of things. Yeah. So. yeah. Ah. Oh, got it. So got he Up in here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Man, if I know you're from Alabama. If we were Sorry, to look oh, for oh, like a, 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 f- a final entry here, like a like a 21st century entry into this. Definitely discussion.
3: the Anna Nicole Smith opera. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well you know it's really interesting and you look at what's going on right now, there's a lot of topical stuff that is um, you know, we joke about being political here, but um Opera Philadelphia and what they just did, we shall not be well what is the opera? Oh my God. Uh oh, We Shall not be moved. We not be moved. Yeah. Um or as one that's as being performed. One, I think, so, yeah. Uh, so we have these these new well we shall not be moved is not a new societal thing but it is race and it is just gerrymandering and it is uh politically charged and racially charged and that's topical today obviously we talk about what's going on with trump and then as one um the i hate to say emergence of the voice of uh you know lgbtq community but like to have that be now at the forefront of opera I think is important mm. and something that you know that
2: music is by its by design is always going to be behind other art forms And being avant-garde and being because mm. it's especially with opera it takes so long to create an opera you don't just like write an opera and produce it tomorrow you know mm-hmm. like there's a lot of planning that goes into getting something on stage so opera is behind in the in political or cultural commentary so it does take Really visionary composers and librettists to feel current mm-hmm. by the time their work gets produced.
3: Yeah.
0: Kevin, I hope it's all helpful. <laughs> let us know. Hey, listeners, let I, us know what you're thinking of those iconic <laughs> game changing, form changing, art changing operas. Let us know what you're thinking <laughs> at Opera Box Score on Twitter. We have Twitter. like a minute left to talk,
2: or you need to get rid of us. We're going to,
0: I'm going to get rid of you. Okay. We're gonna move. We're gonna move on. We're, we're going break free though tonight. We're gonna power through. Uh, coming up next, Anthony Tomassini writing for the New York Times, called it "quote the best opera recording ever." We're gonna tell you what it is, what we think of it. That's next. Opera box score, America's Talk Radio Show on WNUR.
1: live from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The results, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions, plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR.
1: Opera class, sports radio class, this is Opera Box score Oggi purora da Castel Sant'Angelo, disponete di me, ceratevi, è una donna gelosa, un breve istante la eccomi. record in West
4: Parlavi, A te, eh? altre parole vi sbigliavi. Ove oh, chi
1: o oh, lei quella donna e di questi
0: passi, i
1: tuoi
0: probably gave the game away right out of the gate let's see if you guys can uh or our listeners at least identify composer and piece and staff i'll call them staff on that <laughs> on that singer uh it's of course who Puccini's. For work that day i know right exactly Puccini's tosca this recording this is the 1953 recording on the warner classics label from teatro mm. alla scala in Milan, with, of course, Maria Callas singing the title role. Why, if you guys read the article, why do you think Tomasini would pick this recording out as the best opera recording If He likes person? him some
4: Puccini. I'm pretty
2: sure it was originally released on the EMI label, or Angel, it would be called Angel back then, and maybe Warner Classics has now bought all of those labels. But... Yes,
0: Warner Classics was not around in the movies. Yeah, no. <laughs>
2: Um Well, one of the obvious reasons is it's Callis in her prime. Uh, you know before 1955 or '56, Maria Callis really could do no wrong vocally, and her, interpreta- her interpretations generally were so well prepared, even in her early versions, even she recorded something twice. The first version shows that she already had her interpretation down, and the second version usually just shows that her voice had some wear and tear in it, mm. but it was the exact same interpretation. And she was meticulous, and she followed markings in the score, you know, religiously. She was very thoughtful about where to put ornamentos. And just, like, her, her phrasing is just amazing. And in 1953, her voice, to me, was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be some people who will never like her voice, and that's <laughs> fine. I get it, you know. But um, it just had so many different colors and the ability to be feminine and girlish and the ability to be powerful and angry and the ability to make ugly noises. And I, I like that, that you can make ugly noises when necessary. Uh, also one must say that Tito Gobi is one of the most, or was one of the most intelligent singers. Mm-hmm. He was like the Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau of Italian baritones. And he really makes something out of, uh, Scarpia, the villain with an instrument that isn't as, um, You know, powerful and impressive and athletic as other Italian baritones of the time, like Ettore Bassini or something like that. It wasn't a beautiful voice, but he definitely had ideas and he knew how to get his ideas across.
0: Let's take a listen to how he was singing on this uh, recording. a truck through that vibrato <laughs> he's got
2: I don't agree with you about that, but sure um the other thing about this recording is that it's Giuseppe de Stefano also in his prime, and he was one of the great like foils to call us, and I have to say that I love DiStefano. Stefano. I think his voice is like sunny and he sounds just so human when it's he sings. such an
3: open sound, yeah. that it feels natural to listen to it
2: right, but I- wouldn't call him like one of the most detailed singers, but he just has like a just. <laughs> no. Joyful voice, you know, and he sounds like very young and like almost naive in this recording, which is kind of nice. Yeah, to have and, a and, like as like this, like you know, suspicious, you know, jealous, you know, but ultimately super courageous woman, and Gobi as Scarpia is like insidious and like villainous and scheming, and. The
0: Stefano is just like this nice guy. He gets caught up in this thing and he dies. <laughs> Poor guy. Well, let's take a listen to uh, Giuseppe Di Stefano singing on the same recording.
1: Nel Pozzo del Giardino, Vas <laughs> And move it and fritta, it passato move È and come dove and move it parte move it and adesso it and
0: Toby just wet his pants.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I looked at Oliver and I said, did you hear the sound sing through the R? <laughs> Vitoria! I mean, he's a master.
4: So I gotta say, for, for 1953, the sonics on this recording are pretty darn good. Uh, and uh, the it's got the big sort of mid-century, we have a big muscular orchestra and we're gonna show it off. I love sort of feel. this
2: era. Like, there's something that's just so warm about them and not bright, like, recordings like from the 90s and whatnot you know where mm. everything is like so present like i actually like yeah. the feeling of distance between you and the orchestra and the singers being mic'd a little bit closer you know and these are singers who clearly have performed these roles it's not like putting andre bocelli on a recording oh, album or singing like yeah you know? it's a
0: little it's a little warts and all do you know what i mean and i'm not i'm not trying to do that as a slam on these singers because mm-hmm. obviously they're excellent they were, singers they
2: were really recording artists they knew yeah. they understood what it meant to go into the studio and to perform the role and not just sing it Mm -hmm. into a microphone, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have that luxury anymore. People who now get the privilege of recording... Are usually recording rare baroque operas or mm-hmm. a recital of new music, you know, a recital of songs that whatever that need to get recorded. I mean, like it's rare to actually get people in the studio to put on an Aida or a Tosca, you know, unless you're Andre Bocelli, of course. You know, you could record whatever <laughs> you want, you know. <laughs> so, the, so people getting in front, getting into the studio these days, I think, are also struggling. Not that they're doing a bad job, but they do have to contend with the fact that it's of something that's probably new to them, and being in the studio is not as natural as an experience as it was for somebody like Collas or somebody like Sills or whoever, you know, who recorded stuff all the time, you know, and just knew how to behave in the studio, you know.
0: There's a link to the Tomasini article on our website, operaboxcore.com. You can let us know what you're thinking as well. If you agree, is that the best recording of all time? Do we have time? Are you trying to get out of the segment? I, I'm I'm ready to move on, baby. <laughs> Let's Oliver <laughs> Oliver, you can have a final thought though.
2: No, I wanted to ask Weston or Toby if they have a recording that they love as much as Tomasini loves this recording. Well, it's... like They can make the argument for... It here's being,
3: what I will say about the article itself is he doesn't really say why it's the greatest recording of, of all time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just a like piece this, to prepare for the Met performance. Right. Before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, is it a great recording? Yes. I don't think... I think it's impossible to definitively say, because this is a studio recording. Yeah. And you think about what went on the Met... Uh, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, the golden era of these singers where there were generational singers, multiple generational singers yeah. in every cast of mm-hmm. every show. And oftentimes, it, you know, like people would fill in or, you know, you Corelli would go and sing six different roles in two yeah. weeks. And to think about that, there are recordings that exist, recordings that exist from that time period that I'm sure. And like, I don't have any off the top of my head, but. Yeah. That I'm sure would rival. What this. about
2: Corelli, um, Nilsson, Scotto Tos, uh, Turandot? You know, yeah, that's an effing that's amazing recording. That's a really good, you know? good right. recording. Or the one you we're gonna play, the Pavarotti, Sutherland, Milne's Rigoletto is like, incredible. Right, know? I love the Anna Mofo and and um, Alfredo Cross Rigoletto, or is it Carla Bergonzi? I forget. I love the Balan Mosca. I think that's, I think that's Bergonzi. Price, you know? Like there's so, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, so many amazing recordings out there. I think it's hard to say, but I understand why this recording holds a special place, especially if you're a Calis fan. You know,
3: <laughs> Morta.
2: <laughs> I think we killed it. Okay. Did he cut me off?
0: No, baby. Keep going. Okay. I'm, well, s- I'm any- setting a, up a clip anyway. Here I just of- I
2: just wanted to say
0: to close
2: out the first segment, which we never got around to, <laughs> that this guy Kevin, your friend, I think he was waiting for us to to name an opera. That he had never heard of before, like to, to call upon something that would really. No, Because no, we just no. gave a really bad opera history discussion uh, in the first segment. And I don't think no, it was bad. I think we discussed No, but nobody said points. anything that's, like, that's going to make somebody go to their Spotify and say, oh, I should listen to that. I've never heard. Like some people, like I know. Listen to Norma. Uh, I mean, yeah, you should, you know. Listen to Rigoletto. Yeah. And then listen to Parsifal.
3: Yeah. And then listen to Electro. What did we say? Zolome? Yeah. I mean, it ch- if you just listen to the things that we talked
2: about, you will hear. Yeah, but some people say that Louise, the Charpentier Louise, is like actually one of the most important operas in terms of like what was French opera at the time. And like we almost talked about yeah. Pelléas and Melisande, yeah. you know, like the French reaction to Wagner. That's super interesting to me. I love obviously the Broke period, and I love seeing what happened after Monteverdi. Before we get into the high baroque with like Vivaldi and stuff like that. What was that middle period? Like the Cavalli stuff was super interesting to me, Hmm. but Kevin didn't ask about that. He was talking 19th century. (laughs) So
0: uh, um, It was a great, great wrap up actually, Oliver. Appreciate it. Um, Weston's going to send us out though. Yeah, we're
4: gonna we're gonna because we, we were talking about Verdi so much earlier uh, and uh, favorite recordings. Um, <laughs> and this is this is definitely one of my favorites. This is the uh, the one you're talking about with the Pavarotti, um, Sutherland, I believe. Um, and this is this is from the uh, from the quartet yeah. uh, at the end, and it's just it's just It's oh, probably Milnes oh, and
2: Hugo Turungo and Richard Boning conducting.
4: Yeah, all right, here we go.
1: Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, How come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on wnur.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later.
1: This just in... The Two-Minute Drill.
0: Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land. Two minutes tops. Daniel Lipton, Opera Tampa's most recent artistic director, is being sought by Canadian authorities in connection with a sexual assault. The alleged assault took place in the late 1980s. In what is believed to be a world first, a production of Bizet's Carmen will see the gypsy shoot her admirer Don Jose with a pistol that she grabs off him, rather than her being stabbed to death by him. Quote, at a time when our society is having to confront the murder of women, how can we dare to applaud the killing of a woman? Said Cristiano Chiaro, the head of the Opera House in Florence. Opera Theatre of St. Louis has announced its 2017 fiscal year ended at 101% of goal for annual fundraising, a record number of donations from individuals, and the endowment reaching a record high... General Director Timothy O'Leary also announced that the House is extending the contract of Artistic Director James Robinson, who's been there since 2008. He's now through September 2021. Leading soprano Lizette Oropesa has spoken out with the tendency of casting directors and audience members to, quote, listen with their eyes. She goes on to say, There are roles I wasn't even considered for because of the way I looked. She's been at the Royal Opera House and the Glyndebourne Festival. Seattle Opera's upcoming production of Mozart's Così Fan Tutte features two actual singers, excuse me, sisters. <laughs> I hope they're singers. Ginger and Marina Costa-Jackson. They're Dorabella and Fiorelligi, the two sisters, tested for fidelity by their fiancés. And on this day, the birthday of British composer Ivor Novello, 1893, and the premiere of Vanessa by Samuel Barber at the Met. That was 60 years ago today, and that... Is your two minute drill
1: live from Chicago? It's Opera Box Score with George Tobias and Oliver
0: and Weston Williams. That hey, I that's had. me. Opera Box Score W N U R eighty nine point three FM. Got full house tonight, which is great. A lot of stories, actually. That- but what happens when she kills Jose? You want, you want to start with that one, dude? I'm
3: sorry. What happens? I get it, but what happens? Does the opera end? Does there music?
4: That, do they that's cut stuff. I, that's what I want. I've read like three articles about this, and none of them mention what they do to the music. Yeah. I, well, I would be fascinated. Spoiler of those.
3: <laughs> spoiler alert for nobody who's. For anybody, I'm sorry, who has not seen Carmen. Uh, She usually dies and is killed by Jose. And then he's like, I'm so sorry.
0: I loved you. Well, and it's tragic yeah. and it's sad. And like. What? Well, it's not just usually. Like, that's what's written. (laughs) (laughs) Usually. Usually You're right. Listen, listen, here's the bottom line. You know know me. I am all about reinventing. I am all about high concept. I'm all about changing the sequence of events in the opera. If you look at what director Peter Brook did with Carmen, he made it into this new piece, The Tragedy of Carmen. He cut out the chorus. He reordered events. But he didn't give... Different. He didn't go against the text. He didn't, like, literally change mm-hmm. the events of the story. I'm, that's that's where I draw the line. I, yeah, I, because
3: if you change the story, you also change the music.
0: Yeah, I exactly.
4: Mean, and so I, I just, I don't know, I guess uh, I take issue with it. Well, I mean, I wonder if it's something, like, they go through the whole scene. She gets stabbed. Um, curtain is uh, starts to go down. And then she sits up. She's fine. And then she shoots him as he's—I uh, don't—I don't know. I well, no, he dies before that, doesn't he? Um, does he kill himself or is he? Uh, no, he doesn't. no, he's firing squad. No, uh, no, no. That's not in the. That's Tosca. Yeah. No, he, he, <laughs> we're mixing up our operas. We are experts. We know what we're talking about. Um, Toby's fine. <laughs> Thank um, you. Because <laughs> I don't. He doesn't. He doesn't die uh, at no. the end of Carmen. He, he gets surrounded um, usually in the productions that I've seen by people, uh, or he runs away. I guess. So maybe it's like just a matter of sitting up and shooting him right at the very end. Um, and I could see that really yeah. working. And. Uh, it's just the
3: I I don't know. You change the story. You change the story completely.
0: Look, and I and frankly, I don't buy this quote and this interpretation by the head of the Teatro del Maggio Musicale Fiorentino, which is saying at a time when our society is having to confront the murder of women, how can we dare to applaud the killing of a woman? That's okay, that's not what we're clapping about mm-hmm. at the end of Carmen. There and furthermore, there are ways to tell this story and to make that point without changing the end of the opera. I'll tell you how to start, pal. Look <laughs> at the production photos of this fo- of this show. She's in a red dress, and she's totally boobalicious, all right? So if you don't want to demean women, why don't you start with your costume designer and do something different and Go figure it Go in on out. him, George. Go in on him, George. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just tired.
4: Yeah. I, I'll,
0: I'm going to put that production photo on the website. Oliver, what do you think? Com.
2: I mean it's fine. I mean like oh, there's wow. that there's that you terrible <laughs> there's that terrible tragedy of Carmen, the Peter Peter Brook, yeah. Yeah, Peter Brook yeah. thing where like Micaela and Carmen get into a fight, it's like, oh brother. Like, you know, if it gets people to go to the opera, if they like the ending better, good for you, you know. But does it doesn't. I mean, I don't think it changes the opera that much. You know, I think Carmen is pretty uh in control of her fate for the most part in this opera. She has a lot of agency. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's it's not shocking to me. Like if it was like, you know, Marriage of Figaro and like the Contessa killed the Count at the end, <laughs> that'd be something else. You know? That would but, be a twist. I'd see yeah. that production. Yeah, I, I'd be down for that.
0: Weston and I are stroking our beards in here <laughs> yeah. now. Playa. But anyway,
2: I want to talk about the Costa Jackson sisters because they are so gorgeous and they're so talented and they they sound amazing and they have another sister. There's three of them. There's a third uh, one. Yeah, yeah, Miriam Costa Jackson. So I think they missed the opportunity to have all three. Sisters in the show, but that means the be- Jackson
0: three, right? Yeah, right? the Jackson three, yeah, close to Jackson three. No, not but- know, though.
4: I, I, because I, I have a little brother, mm. um, who, <laughs> is he as tall as you, uh, he is, he is, oh, wow, he's only, he's only 6'3. He's a shrimp. Mm. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he, Sorry, thirsty. I, <laughs> I'll let him know, I'll give him yeah. your number. But he's from Alabama, uh, so he's probably Republican. No, he's not. Uh, our family is, uh, our family's pretty aggressively the, uh, Un-Alabamian oh, uh, in that respect, which is which is qu- quite nice. Good, you can come back next week. <laughs> no,
3: we're just kidding. We're just kidding. We're just
4: kidding. But yeah, having having worked with him not as a singer but as an actor, there are moments where, in working with your sibling, it is very very tense. I don't know if either of you have siblings or have ever worked with your siblings, but they're... I've
2: I've done shows with my brother. How, how do those go? Does he sing?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Does
2: he, does he sing, sing opera? Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. He's is he a tenor? tenor? Yeah.
3: But not anymore. He went and got an MBA. Now he oh. works for a tech company out of Portland <laughs> and makes real money. Um, but no, he's he's quite a singer. And we've done shows. And the tension is, it, it there were times when it was palpable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it,
4: it's just, yeah. But as at I, a certain
3: point, like, I can say that, like, as a high schooler, it would be weird. Yeah. But as a grown-up, I would love to be Fjordeligi and have my brother. But I mean, play. <laughs> at least this
2: opera is
4: actually about sisters, so that mm-hmm.
2: dynamic is welcome. In this yeah, show, that's you know? true.
4: I, I I do think that's really good. I just uh, the first time I was cast in a show with my brother was in college, and we were cast as b- brothers, and uh, you know you just whenever you see it, you you see the flaws in each other's techniques and they, and you see how those are your own flaws, and then of course you uh you know, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, just a shout out to, to Alden. I love you, you're great. But uh, acting with you, I'm sure, is, uh, is kind of weird,
0: as I'm sure acting with me was. Let's, let's give a shout-out to James Robinson over at Opera Theater of St. Louis. Phenomenal director, great administrator, totally deserved that contract extension. And, uh, of course, I think we got to give out a shout to Samuel Barber, right? Vanessa. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey, Kevin, maybe Kevin should be looking at Vanessa as, like, a seminal 20th century opera. Yeah, it's a good one. Oh, must the winter come so soon? The mezzo-soprano national anthem.
2: Um can I just say that Lisette Oropreza uh is a beautiful woman? And uh I, I mean I understand that you know that. she had to work to uh to become to, to achieve the body type that she is now. It's true. But um I'm not sure what why she has an axe to grind right now. Like does she feel like God I sound like a total oppressive patriarchy, you know? Just but a like little with bit, so just a pinch. with so many sopranos out there, like who's going to blame a director for choosing a soprano who l- looks more like the concept of what he has in mind when there are really so many sopranos out there, you know, that, that all sing beautifully, you know,
4: I, 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 I to a certain extent I agree. Cause I mean, obviously uh, I think when you're casting any show, you, you want, you do want the, the person to kind of match how they're written in the text but at the same time, I do think music in opera is the primary focus. I agree. And I I I, 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 I But Lizetta Oreza is a
2: lyric soprano. She's not like an Amber Wagner or like Christine Gerke or an Angela Mead, you know, like Lizetta Ora as beautiful as she is and as gorgeous as an artist she is, is not so unique of a talent yet. You mm. know? Mm. Mm. I'm sorry if you're listening.
0: <laughs> I, well, I'm not going to tweet her about the show, if that's, <laughs> that's what you mean. Uh, hey, look, boys, um, we need to wrap this one up. Good
1: call. Bad call. On Opera Box score.
0: Fast and furious tonight on the show, by the way. we got a lot packed in there. It was good. Good, good time. Uh, hey, who's got a good call or a bad call? I've got a couple.
2: Um, Janai uh, Brueger, as Liu... Uh, last week making her lyric debut uh, deservedly got s- extremely enthusiastic uh, applause from the audience uh, she was so artistic, her tone is so beautiful and um, I have to say like if you're going to see this turn out, go ahead and see it and really enjoy what she has to offer in this production, it was really beautiful and I'm so happy that we were able to talk to her last week Tobias and,
0: Wright. Ah, uh, uh, and Oliver, go oh, ahead. Sorry, go, sorry, go ahead, ahead, Oliver. Oliver. Sorry, and, Oliver's uh, taking
2: mine. This this Sunday is the uh, regional Met Council finals uh, here at uh, in Evanston at Nichols Concert Hall, and I think it's nice for us to be able to get to see the singers at this stage of the game. Not all of them are going to make it to the final finals, but you probably will see some people that will make it to the actual finals. And it's nice to kind of keep track of how
4: their progress was. I think it's really fun. Check it out.
0: Cool. Weston Williams. Oh,
4: uh, I haven't seen any uh, much of a good call, bad call at the moment. However, on my list of things to see, which I hope is a good call, is the new documentary featuring Leotine Price uh, about the the Mets move, the Opera House, yes, the Mets move to uh, the new location at Lincoln Center. I really want to see that one, and I hope it's excellent.
0: Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R, S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And, hey, you can always leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera in your bunker if there's a ballistic missile warning. We're back on Monday, January 22nd at 9 p.m. Central, hoping to take a look inside the Prototype Festival this year. More hot takes on everything opera-related. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.